All right, let's start, guys. Yay, we're back. Welcome back. It's podcast evolution time. All right. Thank you, Matthew McConaughey over there. Very nice. Well, we are back. My name is Lisa. Uh, you can call me Lisa or Nocturne, the OG Nocturne. I need to point something out really quickly. Oh, and by the way, my, my um, pronouns are she, her. I do want to point one quick thing out. I created the word Nocturne using the German word for night with U-R-N-E, like N-A-C-H-T-U-R-N-E. And it has been taken by many people and I'm very upset about it. I created that. <laughs> Just want to throw that out there. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> I am the only one who cares. Okay. <laughs> and I'm Christopher. Pronouns are he and him. I'm Crash Apostle on Night Scrawlers and most other places. And today we're going to talk about Middleverse, which is the first episode that does not concentrate on introducing a new X-Man. That is true. In fact, the creators, uh, when I watched the behind the scenes stuff, they said they considered this a very special episode. And I'm doing little quotey things with my fingers for those of you who can't see me. Um, it's a very special episode to introduce um, a different character and different kind of elements that hadn't been introduced before, just for, for both in Forge and the idea of multiple realities and kind of everything intertwined. So I thought that was interesting. Nice. Uh, and yeah, the the fact that it does not concentrate on introducing a new character means it's also the first one that really skips around and has multiple things going on all at once. But, all of the but, others kind of had that one big through line that was this character is being introduced and this one has all sorts of things going on. Yes, yes. And well, it's kind of interesting you mentioned that because in all the other episodes, there was like the main through line, the main story was the character getting introduced. And then there was always a B plot, you mm -hmm. know, something else going on. Um, like, for example, in the last episode with the blob, you saw the the B plot was kind of the whole Scott and Rogue thing going on uh, at mm -hmm. the same time. Whereas in this one, there's all the plots all center around this middle verse situation. Let, why don't I give a summary before we get into it? All right, let's do summary. All right. Well, for this episode, we are going to be going into the middle verse. It starts out with a little fight between uh, Nightcrawler and Cyclops. Scott is very stiff and upper lip and blah, 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 blah. And Nightcrawler wants to have fun and they get into a fight, which ends up with Nightcrawler teleporting into this random place in the school uh, and through a fight with Rogue over a machine ends up being teleported into what we call the middle verse, which is a, a point in between it's like a pocket dimension within the main dimension yep. um while he's stuck in middleverse toad gets a, his hands on the machine and starts sending everything to middleverse which i love toad's whole story in this it's fantastic yes. uh, and he also meets forge who's been stuck in there since about 1978 so working together and trying to communicate with the team outside uh, they are able to find a way to teleport them out and Forge goes home to his parents and we'll get into that later. That's a whole other story. Um, and yeah, and everything is good. And I, I will say the other thing I noticed about this episode is like, I feel like this episode is the first episode that is very clearly like we have a lesson to tell you kids. Does that make sense? Sure. Is that lesson um, don't always be serious slash don't always goof? Yes. Yes. Okay. Like, and, and I feel like this is a trope that's happened like a hundred times. I mean, going all the way back to what were like the 
Davy Do and Donnie Don't or those, you know, remember those old cartoons like way back in the day, those little like comic strips? Like it's just, it, it's such a clear classic trope, like a lesson for children. Like, you know, don't always be goofing, but don't always be serious. You got to be in the middle. Okay, sure. I'll go with you on that. <laughs> I feel like you, you, uh, you didn't expect the ride you were getting on this morning when you got on this podcast. <laughs> More. I just, I didn't get that out of this. Um, oh, interesting. It's okay. definitely there, but it, it was, it was subtle. And this is partially because like when, when I think of the very special episode lessons, either that's the like mid nineties, very special episode where something just bananas terrible happens and the moral is hammered home the entire time only to be forgotten the next episode or like the the 80s cartoon he-man thing where at the end they explicitly talk to the viewer with something like did you notice the moral this is the moral of today and so, like, the, the theme of this is probably not that moral. And yeah, it comes into play right at the end. But, I mean, it's not subtle, but it's also not super heavy-handed. Well, I, I mean, I agree with you. It's not like the G.I. Joe 1980s, like, this is why drugs are bad, PSAs that we're used to and that we remember, right? It's definitely right. not like that. But... I personally felt like it it played along that trope very well, where it's like, so like Scott gets mad at Kurt. Scott yells at Kurt. Kurt gets mad and goes away. And now it's like Scott has to grapple with the fact that like he might have lost Kurt throughout the rest of the episode. You know, it's like you shouldn't have been mean to him and like those kinds of things, which are I feel like mm -hmm. are tropes that get played a lot. You know, the idea of like you don't don't appreciate your friend and now your friend is gone and and it, uh -huh. you know along the whole thing. So, but. I, I mean, it's a great episode. I don't, don't get me wrong. I love this episode. I, it, it has yeah. a lot to do with the fact that it really like centers on Kurt and I love Kurt, but it's, you know, um, just getting into it. Like one of the things that uh, I want, one of the things I want to point out is the Evo gif of all Evo gifts comes from this episode, which is the gif of Kurt dancing on the table. And I don't know if it's my personal opinion that it's like the best Evo gif out there, but <laughs> I feel like it is. Yeah, uh, there's also the weird, weird framing device of Duncan Matthews' party. Yeah, they all hate Duncan, except for Gene, who's like... Kind of ambivalent toward him, I, I guess. I, I mean, here's the thing. I, I feel like Gene goes back and forth between, like, I'm going to date you, I love you, and I hate you. So it's like, ambivalent, I don't think, is the word, unless it's like the median word, you know? That, that's... Sorry, I'm going to get all super academic. That's what ambivalent means. Oh, okay. Sorry, I'm I'm not academic. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, because yeah, the the usual idea of ambivalent is doesn't really care. Mm -hmm. Um, which it actually means like it's literally ambi multiple valent. So multiple levels. Yeah. Got it. Okay, that see that makes a lot of sense when you you break it down for me. This has been a lesson. <laughs> hey. We need like that we need Welcome that to sound. A word nerd with Christopher. 
we need that like the more you know sound like dun, 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 dun. you know what i'm talking about so oh, we, were talk there, we also get the there's a sound i want you to hear and that sound is and then he bamps and i i love that that little bit yes i so i want to throw out there that um just going into this show we're getting this really exciting fun like fun loving swashbuckling really in the comics 1980s version of nightcrawler mm -hmm. um because he hadn't been that way in a long time and when this show came out like when this show came out that was like the the beginning or like when priest nightcrawler was becoming really big in the comics right and then they decided every single media outside the comics was going to just have priest religiously nightcrawler as we saw in the movies which i was like oh what a breath of fresh air eva was where we didn't have this maudlin constantly praying nightcrawler instead we had a fun loving guy the guy that we all fell in love with in the beginning yeah yeah and that's i i remember 20 years ago this kind of rubbed a bunch of people the wrong way because of the lesson that we are just talking about the like kurt needs to be more serious um but there, we do get that moment where cyclops says even he knows when it's time to get serious mm -hmm. and and that was always like that was always my my counterpoint to people getting angry about the we love fun loving nightcrawler don't try to make him go away the lesson shouldn't be don't be don't like fun and yes and that's not the lesson the lesson is not don't have fun the, no, the lesson, lesson is, is don't always be goofing yeah the lesson is know you know your know your audience know where you are know your time and place and you know sometimes it's it's time to be funny and sometimes it's time to be serious and that's that's the whole lesson i i think and pardon me for one second <laughs> No um no that's the lesson and with with kurt um i mean they do make the point in the com in that where, where scott says that you know about like oh he's you know he knows better than to goof in certain moments and you know he knows when to get serious which is a good point but the other thing too is that we have to consider that this show is trying to fit characters into kind of already molded vessels Right. Does that make sense? You know, like a kid's show always has certain characters the, right. and, the cl and the clown is one of them. And that's what Kurt is in this show. I would say Toad actually also uh, plays that role. Um, and I want to talk about Toad in a little bit because I, I got to be honest, like Toad did not appeal to me when the show first came out 20 years ago. I was not a Toad fan and rewatching it now. I am like 100%. I get it. Toad is amazing. I love Toad so much. I agree, and and yeah, there there are certain archetypes that they're playing with here, um, and and some of them they play multiple ways. So like the entire Duncan thing, Duncan is a jock, and it's like archetypical jock, yeah, and and therefore is very often the non mutant antagonist. Yes, yes, absolutely. On the other hand, very soon here we get gene is the jock um and in this one uh kitty calls cyclops mr military and like that that's sort of that same archetype um mm -hmm. the which cyclops is more the the proper preppy good kid yes i yeah. guess um than the jock but he fills a lot of that same role especially 
with his antagonism toward Kurt's clowning. Yeah, Cyclops is very much... You know who Cyclops is? So Duncan Matthews is the jock. Cyclops is like the rich kid with the pullover sweater, who's not quite a jock, but he's still kind of got that stiffy, you know, not to say that Cyclops is rich or comes from a rich family because we all know he doesn't. But, you know, it's that kind of like stuffy the kid kid from the camp across the, across the way, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah he's that's the goody good. Yeah, the goody good, exactly. The goody good who is, you know, takes things a little too seriously sometimes and always errs on the side of caution. And then, of course, Kurt is the exact opposite as depicted in the show. Yeah. Um, before we move on from this scene, which is, is like a three-second scene we're spending a lot of time on, but it's still, it's a great scene. It's like iconic and, you know. Um, first of all, tail pulling, that's got to be painful. I can't imagine that is not painful, you know? Yeah, that's got to hurt. Especially yeah, get I, pulled off of a table by it. Yes. And I want to point one thing out here. So very interestingly, when Dave Cockrum designed Nightcrawler and he created a whole, you know what I'm talking about. He created a whole like how to draw Nightcrawler, um, yeah. like step-by-step -step instructions. And one of the things he makes like abundantly clear in this is that his tail comes, his tail is coming out of his spine. Like it is a piece of his spine, which is, I mean, that's standard for, that's what Yeah, that's are. how tails work. That's how they work. Yeah. But he makes very, very clear in this that, you know, this is a tail, this is how his tail works. This is what his tail does. Like, this is how you draw it, which again, then you just add that into, this is clearly canon that is intended. And now it's like, now you're pulling this kid's tail. You're pulling him by his spine off of a table. That sounds really awful. Yeah, yeah. And and anybody that's ever had a pet, like clearly tails are fairly sensitive instruments. Yes. And oh yes. Yeah. So you want to talk about tails being sensitive instruments? Check out any like Nightcrawler fan fiction from the past twenty years, and you'll hear about it. Let me tell you. We don't need to go into that. Narrator's <laughs> notes: Don't do that unless you're ready for it. <laughs> Shut up. I love fandom. I love everything we make and do. <laughs> oh, but yeah, it's definitely smart. Oh, anyway, 100%. No, um, anyway, moving on. Speaking of things up asses, um, <laughs> Psych has a big stick up his. And that's that's really like the, the entire MacGuffin of this entire episode is that Cyclops is too serious. So, okay, uh, wait a minute. I got to just... I gotta for one second. So Cyclops has something stuck up his butt, and the only one who can get it is Kurt. That's what you're telling me. Yes, and I know that you have definitely read that story on some fanfic site. Oh, a hundred percent, it exists, and if it doesn't, it will now because um, I'm writing it. <laughs> All right, so moving on from this scene now, because we got to get into the middle verse at some point in the episode called Middle Verse. Um, so Kurt teleports away and I feel like finally for the first time, someone acknowledges that his teleport smells like farts. No, there, there are, I actually, <laughs> I've got a note here that again, he stinks. Um, but isn't, I think they've mentioned it every episode. No, I don't know that they, see, I feel like they've all been like, ah, oh, don't do this. But I feel like the rogue sniffing and going ugh i feel like it's the first time we're like yeah they it stinks and he's constantly doing it in everybody's face this needs to end <laughs> yeah um although she smells it from super far away yeah she's so, like outside um and also 
for for all the nightcrawler sticklers out there um he does teleport to a place that he's never been before and can't see and i remember that that was a big deal with all the nightcrawler sticklers 20 years ago again because really the uh restriction to his powers the limits to his powers are that he has to know where he's going and here's an instance where he specifically explicitly does not know where he's going so i'm gonna counter you and our 20 year old sticklers from 20 years ago that is a self-imposed limit that is not something that is not something he cannot do because of his powers. That's something he chooses not to do because of the danger inherent in it, which, right. you know, is how he dies. He dies because he teleports somewhere and something is there. And, you know, so um, I, I, yeah, I've always, I, I, I don't know like the 100% canon of it, but I feel like that is, that's been made very clear is that it's not, like he, he can teleport wherever the hell he wants, Within a certain amount of, I know there's a distance uh, parameter for him, which has changed a lot over the past several years. Um, but he can teleport wherever he wants, but he chooses not to teleport where he's never been before because, or where he can't see because he doesn't want to accidentally teleport into something. Yeah. 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 And and that, I know that that was a, the whole conversation basically was that and that point and <laughs> counterpoint that yeah. he can't go someplace where he's never been. But yes, he can. He chooses not to. And in this case, he's super emotional and just kind of teleporting away. Yeah, I don't know that he had an idea of where he was going to go. I mean, it's like it's so here's the thing. Have you ever been in a fight with a friend before, like, you know, before school or during lunch or something? And it's like you always sit with the same people every single day, but you get into a fight with one of them. And you're like, bye. And it's just like you turn around and like. Where the hell am I supposed to go now? Like, yeah, this is literally where I spend all my time. Where am I supposed to go now? Yeah, I I felt like that was what it was. It was just literally like a, you know, storming away, having no idea where you're going, and then you just end up in a, a lab, which you know, a little scary. Yeah. Um, now he does teleport into the lab, knowing where it is and what it is. Yes, because he sees it through the little windows, um, and ignores the sign that says "keep out." Yes. Yes. We're, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about how un, um, well, we'll get into that in a little bit, actually. We'll get into how unbothered Bayville seems by missing children. We'll get into that later. (laughs) Yeah. Although apparently according to Forge, they all freaked out when he disappeared. On the other hand, they all freaked out when he disappeared and then didn't investigate his lab. Just kind of like, well, this is done. Yeah, like, wh- where was the last place he was seen? In his lab. Okay, well, shut it down. Bum, bum. There's, like, that's the Law & Order SVU sound. Bum, bum. Yep. Dun, 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 dun. That's the end. Uh, this, this episode, once again, hinges... Again, I think we've had this every single episode. Hinges on people grabbing people. Yes. Yes, it does. And gr- Or gra- grabbing people and things that don't belong to them. Yes. Uh, because Nightcrawler and Rogue not even knowing what it is just knowing that it's the only thing that is not destroyed wrestle over the the gizmo um the the projector it it has a bunch of names but none of them are great yeah it's i i actually have written down like why are they both so uh, invested in a piece of trash essentially you know it's, yeah. it's 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 just a piece of trash they have no idea what it is but they fight over it but again we have to hand wave certain things because it's a kid's show, right? right. Um, I want to point out how 
how hard over the head Evo wants to, Evo is hitting us with Nightcrawler and Rogue brother siblings. Like <laughs> you you go from the episode last episode with where she makes the silly comment, which I, I tweeted about it. It's like she makes a silly comment about um I'm sorry, two episodes ago with the blob. She makes that silly comment that like they could be um it, you know, he's like an annoying little brother, like hint, hint, mm -hmm. hint, which was very similar to in the animated series. She said something similar where she was like, um, you know, if this is a, that's as silly as me and not crawler being can or something like that. It's my rogue impression. <laughs> the 90s. Thank you. That was real bad. Hey, hey, it was great in my mind. <laughs> but, <laughs> so but, yes, um, they both grab it and they both wrestle over it. And yes, in a very brother hitting... sister way. In a very right. brother sister way. The yeah, yeah. The neither one of us knows what it is, but we both want it because the other one wants it. Yes, exactly, exactly. And then um, finally, Kurt is transported into the Middleverse. Dun, 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 dun. I don't know why I chose that music for Middleverse. Sure. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Middleverse. Uh, and the first time that anyone really knows that anything really happens to him is when two boys run out of the boys' bathroom screaming about a, a blue and hairy demon that they yes. saw a ghost. And Cyclops assumes that Nightcrawler's just goofing, even though that particular goof would not be something that Nightcrawler, as we know him in this show, would ever do. Oh, he, there was a 0% chance he would ever choose the Nightcrawler in the show that he would ever choose to go without his image inducer as a prank. That's ridiculous. Yeah, and and we know that it hurts his feelings when he scares people with his appearance. And yeah. so, like, that that would be a, a, a self-own to do that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was, it, it, it's a weird, it's a weird assumption made by Scott, but, you know, again, it's, you know, oops, sorry for that. I don't know what that was. I said, it's, it's a weird assumption made by Scott, but, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and then immediately uh, Cyclops's reaction to Gene not being able to find Nightcrawler um, is that somehow it's the fault of Fred and Lance just because they're around, I guess. Here's, here's my, here's what I have to say about that um, whole situation is I don't understand why Fred and Lance just don't just be like, no, I don't, I don't know where he is. Yeah. Like they, I mean, they immediately lean into the fight. Like Scott throws it at them and they just lean in like, yeah, let's fight. And it's just like, well, okay, there's a missing child. <laughs> Can we all just for a second, remember that there's a missing child here. Yeah. But it makes much more sense for Lance and, and Fred because Lance and Fred were like walking around and then all of a sudden, sudden Cyclops is accusing them of stuff, which they're probably guilty of a bunch of things. And also we know Fred wants to fight. We know Fred's yes. entire thing is like sweet, a fight. Um, that That is true. That is true. Yeah. So it makes more sense for them. It makes basically zero sense for Cyclops and Gene to be like, yeah, we're doing this. Um, yeah, but Mystique, Mystique breaks that up um, as the principal. And um, 
the next thing my notes say is in the shape of an L on his forehead <laughs> because <laughs> Avalanche gives them the loser sign. Oh, yes. He also he also uses one of his uh, amazing rock puns. He's going to rock them. I'll rock I'm pretty it. sure that almost everything that Avalanche says in this is a rock pun. Oh, yeah. It, like, it gets tiresome. I, yeah, it's it's a lot. Can I rewind us back for two seconds? Because I want to talk about I want to talk about Kurt going to the Middleverse when he first gets there, um, because he makes a comment and he says, "This is like the Twilight Zone." And I just for a second have to. I'm a huge fan of the Twilight Zone. I love the Twilight Zone. Ever since I was a kid, I watched it every New Year's. I've been. I love the Twilight Zone, and. Uh, I love that they give the little nod here because, uh, you know, there's a very famous uh, Twilight Zone episode called Little Girl Lost, where a little girl rolls, all, rolls out of her bed and rolls into another dimension, essentially, and they need to find her in this other dimension. And and I just thought it was a great little kind of nod to that because so much of sci-fi today owes itself to the Twilight Zone. The Twilight mm -hmm. Zone has created so many tropes that we take for granted and we think like, oh, that's silly. like the idea of an evil doll. Like that was the Twilight Zone came up with that. You know, it's just, it's mm -hmm. amazing. Well, actually there's other stuff that came before the Twilight Zone we can talk about, but we're not gonna, you know, we'll save it for a Twilight Zone podcast that we do eventually one day, who knows, probably <laughs> not. But, you know, I mean, lots of these, you know, tropes that we think of uh, either started with the Twilight Zone or the Twilight Zone was what kind of really refined them and made them amazing. and. And I just love that they, they they throw that in there, like a little Twilight Zone nod, because you know there's very clear, um, very clear connections between this and like the episode Little Girl Lost, where little poor little Tina rolls under her bed. And I, by the way, every child, every little girl was named Tina in the Twilight Zone. It's a very odd decision, but clearly was a popular. And that would have been what almost forty years old when this came out. Yeah, yeah. So it's it almost sixty years old at this point. It sure is, but it's still. Hey, listen, it's 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 over sixty years old, dude, and it is still. It still I, applies. I it still applies. So um, let's see. Oh, we're gonna talk about Forge now. So we're going. So now we meet Forge. Yes, and and Nightcrawler claims to be a, a harmless blue fuzzball. Yes, yes, he he is in a way. He's a little cinnamon bun. Forge accepts it real quickly. Forge is like, oh, you, you're, you're a blue guy? Well, guess what? You're just like me. Here's my, my mechanical arm. And I felt like that was a really huge thing to jump to, to be like, we're just alike. I've got a mechanical arm. They're blue with a tail. I, you know, I thought that that was a stretch, Forge. It, I mean, it's pretty unclear what Forge's powers actually are in this. Um, he's clearly a genius, uh, uh, specifically a mechanical genius. Um, but whether or not his, his mechanical arm is something he built like in the comics where he's got the mechanical leg that he built or whether that's like that's his mutation is he has a robot arm it i think it's always unclear in the show yeah no they never well th they never spend enough time with forge to really even go into it you know i think they're i think i think this again goes into the idea it's a kid's show so they're you know they're just like well he's got a cool mechanical arm like wh what kid is going to be like but explain this to me right forge you know? does machines that's all we need yeah. to know he's Forge is donatello guy. we're good yeah exactly Raphael is cool but rude michelangelo is a party dude yes he is that is true um i do like and I, it's funny i was talking about this in the discord a little while ago um evo was really good at uh point at kind of 
giving nods to the fact that certain characters are not American and like mm -hmm. reminding you of it. And I liked that when Ford's explaining and Nightcrawler's like, eh, my, my English is a little limited. And it's like, yeah, well, that makes sense. You know, a kid who is, you know, maybe a second language is English might not know all of these terms in English, right? Right. Yeah, it, it, a lot of that was just like techno jargon and yeah. wouldn't have made sense to basically anybody. <laughs> but yes, I actually have the, a note. The, go ahead. I have a note that says the science in this is so amazingly ridiculous. It's like, I don't know much about science. I went to art school, but even I'm watching this and I'm like this, I don't know any of these. What are they talking about? It's ridiculous. There's a moment later when Kitty and Spike are messing with the projector and it's like so retro and Spike just pulls out a bunch of like, this is what it's using. And there's no reason that a what 15 year old in the year 2000 would recognize anything from a machine built in 1978 there's not i mean i i feel like i feel like all our fanfic writers out there would could write something about it you know what i mean it's like oh spike spent a lot of time in the garage with his dad on their ham radio from the 70s and he learned about x y and z you know i it's like yeah they don't explain anything in the show but you know I think it's just supposed to go, by the way, he's smart too. Yes, um, I agree with that. Which, yep, it got that across. What did he say? I don't remember because it didn't make any sense to me. So that, yeah, basically we're, we're getting some, um, some hand waves that, hey, um, pretty much all the X-Men are smart, except for Cyclops, he's a dick. Yeah, yeah they're, they're really trying to kind of, give us those little character moments to give us insight to the character without being blatant about it, right? Without like right. smacking us across the head and being and having Spike come home like, hey, Dioro, I got like three A's. I said a hero way wrong there. Anti-Hero. It's very, not, not that easy to say, honestly. Yeah, but he always says Auntie-O. Oh, that's right, Auntie-O. I, I didn't even have to try. <laughs> Auntie-O, I got A's, whatever. Um, I want to I want to I want to point out our little our little men are from Mars women are from Venus moment that we have with Kitty and the guys where they're like we're gonna blow it up and Kitty's like I could just I literally could do this really quickly and easily and save us the time and hassle and and the mess yeah. and all the boys are just like big boom we need boom we need big boom yeah um so before we get into that um we we've got the comment that we've already foreshadowed in previous episodes that Middleverse, this little pocket dimension, stops just short of the girls' locker room. Oh yes, I yes. Ooh. On this watch through, so on, on the first watch through, I'm like, okay, so Forge has definitely tried. On yes. this watch through, I think he's just keeping Kurt from being distracted. Really? Because just before Kurt asks how far middle verse extends he sees the girls walk into the locker room while forge is fiddling with the thing that's going to save them and so I, i'm thinking that forge is actually lying to him there just to keep from having to deal with nightcrawler going bananas in oh he'd never leave yeah. Yeah, and like everything we know about Nightcrawler and Evo up to this moment, 
says that if he knew he could live in the girl's locker room, he would. I mean, there's just, you know, it's a very sex pesty thing to say, unfortunately, but that's kind of what we've been given in the show so far. Yeah, I mean, so far, Nightcrawler is basically a a mild sex pest. Yes. Yeah, yes. Um, My, very it, mild. It may be that Forge picked up on that almost immediately. <laughs> I was just like, nope, nope. This is a kid's show. We can't have any uh sexual creeping in here you know what's funny is like i i love your read i love that i think that's such a different take on the scene and it does change it really changes kind of the humor of the scene because i see a lot more humor in the scene now you know looking at it yeah. as from a place of forge being like oh my god okay no it no you you can't get in there focus over here please like that that yeah. makes that scene funny to me. Yeah, it made it funny to me too. And I, I think all the evidence is there. And actually, like the even the way that the line is read makes makes it seem less like, oh, I've definitely tried. And more, don't try, dude. Yeah, it's got that, it's got a it does have a there's a there's a hint of dis disappointment in the voice, but it's not necessary, it's not like that kind of like. I've been there, man. It's blah, blah, blah. It's, 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 you, you really, it's, it's not as specific. You really can't tell exactly what his intent is. And that makes my, like your reads. I love it. I love it so much. It is my new headcanon that I will never watch the show and think of it a different way. I absolutely love it. Forge is also 35. That's true. I mean, he's still 17, but he's been around for a while. And oh my God, he's yeah. 45. Listen to the, think about, oh, he's 35. And think about it this way. Okay. You know, he disappeared in 1978, which yeah. was uh 22 years 20 yeah 22 years before this episode aired um which would make 40, him like yeah 37. 39 yeah 30 39 37 depends on how old exactly he was at the time i think he was 17 he says yeah i think so yeah and it was so, 1978 january 22nd 1978 so uh yeah and he's also spent that whole time in a high school can you imagine I can't. That that sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, like yeah, it's I, there's a lot of it, there's a lot of fun stuff about the middle verse that never ever gets explored. But um, you know, it it's a lot of things to consider, like the idea that you know I, he doesn't age, but how fast does time move in the middle verse? You know, it, it's yeah. There's there's that's a lot of that stuff's not made very clear. Um, I want to talk quickly about the Toad Runner because Toad is having like the time of his life with this machine. He finds it and he's just like, you know, Rogue tells him that she killed an X-Man or she got rid of an X-Man with it. And he's just like, I'm going to do whatever he, I mean, he takes care of all of Mystique's furniture. He takes her car. Like, you know, she does, she is not upset about a missing child, but the minute her car is gone, she's like, call the police now. Yeah. Which, yeah, the first thing that Toad does with that machine after hearing that it kills people and seeing that it disappeared a dumpster is, what else can I point this at? Yeah. And then he, he goes, Mystique's office. And that's that makes so much good Toad sense to just be like, oh, well, she was mean to me this morning and she's always going to mean to me. I'm going to take her shit. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of that, it's like she has this brand new car that she just rolls up in, you know, which I got to be honest, if I was the principal of a high school, I would not be driving a nice car there. Like I might have a nice car at home, but I would not be driving it to the high school where I'm principal. I mean, you're in academics. You tell me. Uh, so 
her office is ridiculously huge and nice for a high school yes. principal. Her car, as far as I can tell, is a Mazda Miata. Oh, that is very nice. Um, but it's also on the cheap end of things. So it actually makes kind of sense that it's a Mazda Miata convertible in green. And if if we assume that when she says new car, she means new, new, not new to her, mm -hmm. then that's a like 2001 Mazda Miata. And so, yeah, that's, that's in the $25,000 in 2000 the year 2000 range so like it's nice but it's not super nice well it's not it's not a porsche but you know it's a good car it's a nice car it's I, i'm just saying like any i don't know you know i just i don't trust teenagers i guess is what i'm saying yeah and i don't know why it's not blue <laughs> yeah blue would maybe blue would have been too on the nose I suppose. But we're almost to the end of the episode, essentially, that is just a big fight. And, you know, but I just want to remind everyone, a child is missing throughout this entire episode. Like, please put in, won't somebody please think of the children from The Simpsons right here? Like, a child is missing this whole episode and nobody, there's not a single adult who could, could care. The minute that Mystique chooses to care, it's because her car is missing. And it's her son. Spoiler alert. Yeah. I did think it was interesting, but I understand why from like a storytelling perspective, especially for what this episode is trying to do, that when Gene can't find Kurt, they don't immediately go, maybe Xavier can't. Mm -hmm. Because we know Xavier has, in previous episodes, located people. Yeah. And so I don't quite understand um, the logic of... Cyclops and Jean there to be like he's he's disappeared and probably dead um we better beat up Blob because clearly he had something to do with this rather than like <laughs> we need an adult yeah uh, there's a lot of assumptions that he's dead because even Rogue when when they when they managed to reset the the machine and they can see him like rogue is rogue is like he's still alive or no this is when tele he teleports and rogue's mm -hmm. like he's still alive and it's just like you thought you killed him and you thought you killed a man a, a person a child you thought you killed someone and you just win him on win him on your day like nothing happened i can't with this school i, I mean can't. it's pretty clear that she feels bad about it but also she does not immediately go tell someone that like this machine did something weird she tries to throw it out Yes, let me tell you, Rogue. I listened to enough true crime true crime podcasts to know that you'd still go to jail, honey. You did, you might not have done it on purpose, but you'd go to jail for that. There's that moment where she's going to throw it away just before it gets into Toad's hands. That she's holding it at the end of a broomstick, yeah. and I could not get a good read on whether that's because she's afraid of it or because she's disposing of evidence, and it might be both. <gasps> Oh my God, you with the hot takes this episode. I can't, I'm loving it. No, but she wears gloves. So why would she care about the fingerprints? Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm loving your hot takes this episode though. This is great. You're changing the way I look at Evo in a great way. <laughs> <laughs> um, that homie's lingo is so whack is the worst best quote in the entire series. It is meant to be that though. Like it's, it's so clearly written to be cringy and like awful. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Especially like 20 years on where you're like, oh, yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, even when the show came out, that was like really, that was outdated lingo. Like that was not. Right. Which is why it has aged well. Yeah. <laughs> that 
yeah, Kurt is using lingo from. Uh, <laughs> he is using slang that adults think kids use. Yes. Uh, which means that it was from at least five years prior and definitely more awkward than it should have been. And then they're feel- lampshading that by making him comment on the 70s stuff yes. that Forge is using. Yes. Yeah, I want to say whack, I feel like was when when it was used seriously was like late 80s, early 90s. I feel like that's yeah. That's where uh, whack comes I from. think crisscross is probably the peak of whack. See, I, I would I would have to say that's probably when it started. Like when it, yeah, it hit its peak and then immediately went down because yeah, the minute that, the minute an act like crisscross gets you, it's yeah. So crisscross in living color. So we're talking um, early like 92. 93, yeah, 1992, yeah. 94, somewhere in there. Um, I did find it interesting as a Nightcrawler fan or as a Quicksilver fan mm-hmm. that there is no Quicksilver in this except for a very brief cameo when they're arguing about whether or not to go to the park. Oh. Despite the fact that there are fights in this, Quicksilver never shows up. Maybe he's the only one who has any sense in him and is like, you guys are fighting over a, pe- a literal piece of garbage. You don't even know what it does. <laughs> you, you've heard it might have killed somebody. Like, who cares? Leave it alone. You, like, he's he's looking at everybody and he's like, you can catch things with your tongue. You can rock, you can like make things rock all the time. I can run really fast. Why Why do we care about this? I, I'm, I'm on board with this. Yes. There you go. The, That's there. He didn't get poked personally and therefore does not care. Well, that's it. He's probably thinking to himself, he's like, the blue one's gone? Okay, like, great. Like, who cares? Moving on. You know, like, my dad's calling me and, like, my sister's crazy. What do you want from me? It does imply a scene that happened off screen where Avalanche and Blob are, like, Cyclops was mean to us, man. We need to fight them. And then Toad comes along and goes, they stole my thing. And Pietro just goes, I don't care about any of that. Yeah, Pietro's like, what thing? Oh, it's it's a thing. It I don't know. It killed the blue one. Okay, well, okay. Like, did, Wendy Williams is on, guys. I don't know what uh, I don't know what you want from me. So the second best quote in this episode is, "Good thing I'm the blob." Yeah. Why, Fred? <laughs> they throw a car at him, and he's fine. The car is toast. Which is part of the reason why I think it's a Miata is just like it compacts into like the size of of a like a soda can. It gets crushed into a cube. And yes, <laughs> you have twenty four hours to move your cube. <laughs> um, or is it twenty minutes? Twenty minutes to move your cube. <laughs> yeah, and and so it crashes into Fred, and he he reacts with "Good thing I'm the blob." <laughs> Yeah, I, I yeah. love that moment where he's just like, "Yeah, cool." Car crashes into me. Good thing I, I, it crashes into me. Yeah, and and then like, Nightcrawler comes back and the fight just kind of ends. Yeah, like the thing gets destroyed. The fight just and the guys are like, "We're all right. See ya. All right. Bye. Thanks for stopping that by." The thing that we didn't want, but we were fighting over anyway, is now broken. I guess we're done. Like, yeah yeah this this felt very this felt very siblingy in a way of like two siblings fighting over a toy one really care, like one really cares about it and one doesn't care that much but they really just don't want the other sibling to have it and mm-hmm. finally it's broken and the other one the sibling who didn't care is like all right well whatever didn't want it anyway bye 
Yeah. That's what this feels like. <laughs> yeah, I'm good with that read. Uh, and then... After that... So... <laughs> Forge has been missing since 1978. He's been missing for 22 years at this point. And still they do not go to an adult to be like hey we found this kid that's been missing for 22 years instead they're just like hey you want to hang out or he's like not really i want to go home and they're like okay cool yeah you know i i got a little story for forge about a boy named alan Parrish who disappeared into a board game called jumanji he came back and you know what it it, it wasn't good for his his parents weren't in a good place dude it just didn't it yeah. didn't go well yeah happen. i don't like there there is an entire thing that happens between episodes between this one and the next forge episode which is two or three down the line that they found their son who looks exactly the same like this is the flight of the navigator like it happens off screen that we get basically the entire story of flight of the navigator yeah <laughs> kid who has not aged reappears long after everyone has stopped searching for him because he would be like a full adult now um and is probably just dead uh and then he reappears <laughs> looking exactly like he did when he disappeared and everybody's gonna be cool with it question I, mark i gotta be honest i think that you might i don't know if you're on fire today or if i i'm just <laughs> I'm just really like vibing with you because I would watch the hell out of a show about Teenage Forge, like trying to live in the present time after being stuck in Middleverse. I would watch the hell out of that show. Are you kidding me? He has to get a job. Like, you know, he, he looks like he's 17, but he's actually like almost 40. Yeah. Yeah. And a genius and a mutant and of color question mark. I mean, they definitely, they were, they were, they didn't, they didn't make anything apparent about his um, heritage, but they, you know, chose to make his skin a little bit darker, I think, to reflect that he is a character of color, if not, yep. you know, specifically Native American. So, yep. yeah, I think that, you know, it's it it was a, it was a great way to introduce a character like they talk about it in the DVD commentary that like Forge is like this really, really important character. And it's kind of funny because Forge was in the 90s a much bigger character than he has been since the 90s. So yes. making this show coming off the 1990s in the comic books, I could see saying to yourselves, we got we got to we got to we got to find a way to put Forge in here. Forge is huge. He dated he dated Storm. We need him. Now it's looking back it's like, okay, I mean Forge is a good choice, I guess. All right. Well, Forge is also a very handy storytelling element because mm -hmm. do you need weird technology? in this universe where Iron Man apparently doesn't exist. <laughs> cool. Forge. His literal mutant power is he makes stuff. What do you need for this story? He made that. And and I'm I'm good with that. Like that that is a good easy way to be like this piece of technology that absolutely does not and should not exist. Forge. Yes. So here's a question I have for you because you say Iron Man doesn't exist in this world. And I mean, he doesn't in the way that we would know him or anything. I mean, we know Captain America does because we, he comes up later, right? Yeah. Okay. This, I just mean this... like, if you're telling stories in with X-Men evolution in this world, like you don't have access to just be like, every time we need something, 
Iron Man did it. So you need someone to do that for. I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Um, yeah. I but mean, I that's what the MCU has done is, is basically like technology is bananas because Tony Stark is not only a super genius, but there's a bunch of them and we're just rolling with tech is bananas in this world. Yeah. Yeah. And Tony Stark also has like a lot of money to throw at things, which Xavier does too, which that's why, uh, you know, you look at this, a lot of these superhero teams are always bankrolled by someone. <laughs> right. There's always someone, someone behind the money, you know, like I'm surprised the Koch brothers don't have a, a superhero team yet. Like at this point, you know, I mean, like, that's pretty much the, the boys. That's pretty much yeah. the entire setup for that. That's, that is true. That is true. Um, oh, I was going to say something about Forge and I totally like just lost my train of thought. Sorry, we're talking about Forge and yeah. I mean, the next time we see him, he gets used in that exact way where oh. apparently the idea was we want to explore where Nightcrawler teleports to because honestly, that's something that really hasn't been super explored anywhere else and yeah, apparently they just yeah. wanted to explore that and so they went well forge made that last teleporting thing we just, just forge did it that's i mean yeah that's it's a good it's a good way to use him later because you know there's just not a whole lot of story to tell with him that's the the tough thing about the x-men in general and i think that it's it's one of those things that's it's such a shame that the X-Men that the MC or that Marvel lost the rights to do X-Men the way that they had done the MCU because the way that they've built the MCU is like exactly how you should do an, an X-Men property. Yeah, I agree. But I think that that's actually a really great thing that they didn't have the X-Men because the X-Men is changed so a group that you don't have the opportunities right off to do the sort of solo character centric development films i so i i think if they were to if if we were to go back in time and you would swap out the x-men for the avengers in the mcu which let me tell you listeners at home if the uh marvel had retained rights to the x-men for Mar movies you would never hear about the avengers <laughs> ever like they would be they'd be coming up in like phase seven <laughs> like they'd be you know so that's how big the x-men were back in the day and that's why marvel had to sell their rights so they could save themselves but anyway going to the story about um if they were to start over the mc with the x-men the same way they did i think it would go backwards i think they would start with an x-men movie rather than start with the standalone story so you would start with an x-men movie um, like the Avengers movie, and then from there you would break out and do your standalone stories. So you would start with the next. They would movie, almost definitely do... do that, and it would almost definitely not work because we've got two two different failed examples of doing exactly that. See, both I, with see, the X Men and with the DC. So here's where I disagree with you. Fox never found the magic that the MCU did, and they Fox was what. So so the MCU has evolved superhero movies in a way that um was not seen as possible when the first x-men movie right. came out so um the idea that we would have uh, let's be real for those of you who are a little bit younger listening but for anyone you know upper 30s and up you can remember back to the early superhero movies like back in the 90s and the 2000s um 
Joel Schumacher basically destroyed the superhero movie genre with his Batman movies, and it was not taken seriously. And when the X Men came out in two thousand, pause a second. What? I am a Schumacher apologist, okay, and I would ahead. like apologize. to apologize. I would like to do some apologizing here. That those movies make perfect sense. It wasn't that Joel Schumacher ruined comic book movies. It's that the reaction to so, Joel okay, Schumacher's. So I will. I will. I will adjust what I said because I don't disagree with you. And I don't disagree that they're not fun movies to watch, but those movies, the, the, the um, failure of those movies is what destroyed superhero movies from here on out. And then like the, the bad backlash that those movies got is what, so Joel Schumacher fail. basically what, I'm sorry? They didn't fail. They well, made a okay, so boatload it, of money. <laughs> I understand they made a, okay, anyway. But I'm, the point I'm making is that Joel Schumacher went balls to the wall crazy with his with these movies. Like he decided balls he was to the wall gonna, camp. It is one hundred percent. No, it is one hundred percent camp, and it makes sense for the Batman brand. And it makes sense for all. Here's the thing: it makes sense for the Batman brand, especially pre, in that moment. But yeah, but like also like pre-killing joke in the comics. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's there's moments where the the brand just changes. You know what I mean? And like and Batman became a darker brand, and then with Tim Burton, he followed along with that darker brand. But then Joel Schumacher came and was like, well, let's hell. Like, I mean, I watched this, the Adam West show and like threw in all that stuff. And I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it or to enjoy it. I'm saying that at the time, the reaction was not positive. And because no, of that, a lot of the a lot of the comic book movies that came after that pulled back immensely on stuff they could have done. This is why all of the X-Men wore black costumes in almost every single X-Men movie is because mm -hmm. they didn't believe after having you know, after these flops that came out or what were deemed to be flops, they didn't believe that they could act, actually show what the comics did. The comics were one medium. We need to change it for this other medium. And the MCU has proven that that's not the case. You just need to do it right. You need to actually spend the time and the energy to act, to really do it right rather than, you know, rush into it. Because you have things like the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern movie. I mean, it just was not a good choice. Bad choices all around, you know? Yeah, and, you and have Lantern's to care fantastic. about... You have to care about the characters as people. Yes. Um, which is is a weird thing to say, but it's because you're getting at a different audience. So, like, really, comic book fans don't super care about their characters as people. They care about their characters as characters. And and there there is a lot of like, well, I just follow this character, and yes. wherever they show up, I will go. Um, and there is a lot of that in comic book fandom, but you're not aiming movies at comic book fans. Like you're, you're not because that is a f incredibly small number of people. Yeah, of course. So you're, you're aiming at the mass audience and what the MCU did better than really any other movie franchise is, I mean, they started with Iron Man and they went, no one cares about Iron Man as Iron Man. So we're going to have to make them care. Mm -hmm. um, and that's part of the reason why people don't really like the first Captain America, which I do, but, and why they don't like Thor the Dark World is because it's not, it, it's treating them as characters and archetypes rather than as people, mm -hmm. um, which is also why we both love Thor Ragnarok is oh, that, that we finally get that moment with Thor and Hulk where we get to see them as people. Yeah. 
Um, I, I, I would agree with that 100%. I think the other thing the MCU did was they, um, they made it cool to... they were they they were able to make these characters and these themes that nobody thought could possibly translate onto the screen they made them make sense in their own universe because they built Mm -hmm. their own universe is basically what they did starting with iron man one it's like everything that happens in this universe is going to connect to and you know happen to other characters in this universe and we're going to reference it and so that's what made it so captivating and part of it too is you know, and this is one of those things comic books have done for a long time with crossovers is like, well, if you, you know, this is going to be followed in the next Thor movie. Well, if you don't like Thor, but you like the story, you, you probably should watch the next Thor movie, though. You know, so right. it's it's brilliant. I mean, it's it was a brilliant strategy. They did a great job with it. And, you know, I got to say, I I'm not a fa- I, the Fox X-Men movies. I enjoy them. I know a lot of people hate them. And especially now that the Mar- the mutants are, M- are going to be coming into the MCU, people talk down to them a lot. But I really just want to throw it out there, guys. There would not be an MCU if it wasn't for the Fox X-Men movies. I'm just going to say it. There just It yeah. wouldn't have happened. Like there's a, the whole reason Marvel existed was because they were able to sell off their property. And then those properties were made into successful movies that launched the, rena- the superhero renaissance that we are living in right now. Yeah, um, to quote Kevin Smith, 25 years ago ever since x-men hit at the box office everybody's been snapping up every comic book property they can get their hands on yeah um it was it it was x-men and the spider-man movies from the early 2000s like you can you don't have to like them but you know i say this a lot to art art collectors i work with a lot of art collectors i say this to a lot of art collectors you know you might not like picasso but you got you might not like the art but you, you gotta understand what he did for art and why he's important. And that's kind of how I feel about X-Men. So there you go. Did you ever think that you'd hear Picasso and X-Men spoken in the same sentence? Probably not. All right. So what did we learn this week? Oh my goodness. Well, we learned that the stiff guy has to warm it up and the silly guy needs to stiffen up. That's what we learned. Mm-hmm. And we learned that you've got smut on your mind all Always. the time. Always. Um, I mean, they also break. go to the party at the end of this and... Um, so I think that what we learned was we don't need any adults at all. Yeah. We learned that we don't need any adults. The adults don't really care anyway. And, you know, Scott, like, don't say no, Scott, because they'll find a way to get you to say yes within 30 minutes. So that's the new answer. That's the new one. And, quit and that goes right there with people. consent. I'm sorry? Quit grabbing people. Yes. Yes. Quit grabbing people. Exactly. Can and I just also throw in keep there- the guy out of the, out of the girl's locker room. Just, yeah. Oh yeah, let's just do that too. Like no guys in the girls' locker room, you know. It's just, it's just bad news all around. Oh well, yeah. So going back though, I really want to point something out. So um, me and Christopher, we record these like a little bit ahead of time, um, and you know, just so we can make sure we have time to edit and get them out there because we both have full-time jobs and crazy schedules. But I do want to point out that you know we we this is the first one where we're, we're uh, recording since we've released the podcast out there to everybody. And I want to say that um, I am overwhelmed with the amount of people who have been listening and uh, even following us on Twitter and just talking to us. It's been amazing. And thank you so much for listening. And uh, yeah. And if you like us, please listen more. And if you don't like us, well, I don't know why you're here. And if you want to come and talk to us, we are both available on nightscrollers.cc. Yep. You can find us there. Also, we have our uh, Twitter at uh, podcast evo because podcast evolution was too long for twitter so we're too big for twitter guys i mean we might have to just go ahead and make our own twitter so you know i've heard i've heard people are trying all right until next time <laughs>
no doubt the good professor wiped your mind so you can't remember anything! Get out! <laughs> <laughs>